I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to Cinematic Universe, a podcast that's all about comic book movies, Brought to you by FilmDivider.com. I'm Joe Cunningham, and joining me to help make sense of the comics behind the movies are... Sir Patrick. And James Hunt. Now, normally we discuss the latest comic book movie and TV news before launching into our spoiler-filled discussion of one film or TV show, but this week we have got, like, 20, 30 different things to discuss, because this is the Cinematic Universe end-of-year special awards show... Uh, This is going to be a two-part podcast. You're obviously listening to part one right now, and part two will arrive next week. Um, And we are going to be handing out awards to all of the movies and TV shows that we have covered on the podcast this year. Now, helpfully, we started the podcast right at the start of January. So we have got a full rota of stuff to talk about and hand out awards to. Um, and now what I think I'll do is I'll run you very quickly through at the start everything that we that is eligible for awards conversation. Um, and we uh, and then basically, if you think oh, I didn't listen to that podcast, nah, I've done a I've done a clever plug. You're going to go back and listen to some of our old episodes, hopefully. <laughs> so we've got the Daredevil movie. We've got the Batman 1989 movie, Iron Man, X Men Origins Wolverine, Watchmen. Superman, Avengers Age of Ultron, Ghost Rider, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Chronicle, Scott Pilgrim vs. The World, Spider-Man, Ant-Man, Fantastic Four, Batman Begins, Howard the Duck, The Incredible Hulk, Ghost in the Shell, X-Men First Class, Blade, Hellboy, Kick-Ass, Iron Man 2, and then on the TV side, Agent Carter, Daredevil, and Jessica Jones. And we've even got Arkham Asylum, the game in there as well although I'm not sure he's been nominated for any awards <laughs> it's, it's a bit difficult to get a game in the same categories so we'll give it game of the year right at the start Batman <laughs> Arkham Asylum wins game of the year I, I, I dispute that <laughs> <laughs> Um, so this is going to be pretty freeform. What we've done between us is we have all suggested nominees for... I think we've got like 18 categories or something. It's, it's very exciting and unruly. Um, and we have kind of figured out five nominees for each category. And what we're going to do during the course of the show, we're each going to pick one nominee from that category to kind of argue the case for. And once we finish arguing, we're going to do a final vote and we're going to decide on a winner. 
Um, so I think we'll do what the what the Oscars tend to do, which is to start off with a pretty big award, like not the big one, but you know, a pretty big one straight from the outset. Um, and they normally go for best supporting actor or actress. So we'll start with our best supporting actor category, and the nominees are Michael Pena for Ant Man, J.K. Simmons for Spider Man, Vincent D'Onofrio for Daredevil. Nicolas Cage for Kick-Ass and Sam Rockwell for Iron Man 2. So, five pretty exciting names there. Some some exciting um, supporting performances. I, I was lobbying hard to try and get Colin Farrell from the Daredevil movie in there. He didn't make it. Michael B. Jordan <laughs> from Chronicle. Um, I was trying. I was trying very hard to get some Chronicle nominations in here today, and it, <laughs> it, it fell on deaf ears with my fellow podcasters. Should have got Reese back in. He loves Chronicle. <laughs> he hated it, didn't he? Yeah. Hated Chronicle. He suggested uh, it, and he hated it. <laughs> uh, Seb James, anyone that you were particularly passionate enough about that didn't make this list? I was gonna just do Kieran Culkin. Yeah, Kieran Culkin from Scott Pilgrim. Yeah, very strong, but didn't didn't quite make the cut. I was surprised we didn't get any Batman Begins actors in here because obviously you've got you did know like put of, Michael Caine in. I meant you, to put Michael. Caine you in. did, but he didn't make the final five. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I think this this was a pretty strong category because I think you've got um, as well. I mean, uh, Kickass. I think Nick Cage and Mark Strong. Um, hmm. I think if you would count, would you count Jack Nicholson in Batman as a lead or a supporting? I mean, his name is the. He's the uh, highest billed actor. In yeah, it, but... and as we went into at the time, the entire origin story is basically his. Yeah, so maybe he doesn't count. Um, another one from Scott Pilgrim would probably be, be Brandon Routh and Chris Evans. I've got, both I've got to say, excellent. people from Scott Pilgrim is going to be a running theme in this episode. <laughs> at least if yeah, I've got anything it, to do with it. The supporting actor categories particularly, because there's so bloody many of them, and they're yeah, all so yeah, good. They're all excellent. And mm. also, when we get to it, we, I think we'll note that... Um, Supporting actress is quite a difficult category because these films don't tend to be very good with secondary female characters yeah. <laughs> in any way, shape, or form. Yeah, that's so Scott true. Pilgrim kind of gets probably gets most of those by default. Spoilers, um, but no, that's the thing. It's, yeah, but supporting actor is a really strong category. I think it. I think it. Ten. It's quite indicative of what comic book films tend to be like, which is that you often do get, as long as they're male, um, some pretty memorable and often good comic relief supporting characters. Played by really good character actors, like mm. so. like Eldon Henson from Daredevil's TV series. Yeah, which was one of one of James's suggestions to the award. Well, James, <laughs> is, that, is, that, is that Foggy? Yes, that is Foggy. Oh, no, a bit of a contra- bit of a controversial <laughs> shout. He wasn't popular with everyone. Um, Seb, do you want to start off by arguing the case for one of these three actors, someone you're well, particularly passionate about winning? Well, getting to pick first means I get to pick the obvious winner, which is J.K. Simmons. I mean, like they, as a, all all the nominees in these in this category would be fully deserving to win at any other time, other than being up against J.K. Simmons as J. Jonah James. <laughs> I've also just realised that at some point next year we'll probably do Spider Man Two, so he's going to win again. <laughs> but um, I mean, it's, we talked about it at length on the Spider Man podcast that it is just it is up there as one of the most absolutely perfect pieces of casting in any of these movies or indeed in movies in general uh it's just it's a perfectly judged performance um you can't ever see anybody else as 
playing the character. <coughs> mm. uh, you know, every single moment that he's on screen is an absolute delight. Um, yeah, it is, you know, it's, it's J.K. Simmons. Yeah, like, I know technically I'm supposed to be arguing for one of the others, but <laughs> I fully agree with that. In that <laughs> you, can, you can imagine anyone else being replaced in their roles, but not him. <laughs> Like it's, well, it's pretty telling that Mark Webb decided just not to use J. J. Jones Jameson at all in his films because he couldn't do better. Hey, I mean, he. I mean, again, we we sort of said this at the time, but I don't see the, any objection to just bringing him back, even in a different continuity. No, exactly. And I think it was, oh, a, it no, was yeah. an error of judgment not to have Jonah in those films. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, so interestingly, the only person who all originally made all three of our lists, and I think that's probably because. Um, J.K. Simmons was uh, forgotten to begin with, but Michael Pena, who starred in Ant Man, was um, a slam dunk choice for all of us. Um, and that's interesting because it's it's a new film. But I rewatched Ant Man last night because I got the Marvel Phase Two box set for Christmas, um, and he is great. He's so much fun. He steals almost every scene he appears in in that movie. Um, so I just thought we'd mention him, seen as though James decided to double down on J.K. Simmons. Yeah, I thought we'd get a nice, you know, um, passionate speech in favour of Michael Pena from James. So. <laughs> um, but my my choice, and actually, as much as I love J.K. Simmons, and my argument for this would be, I yeah, I do think that J.K. Simmons actually gets some of his best Jonah moments in Spider-Man 2. Um I I really want to bang the drum for Vincent D'Onofrio because that was a performance this year that was so good in a TV show that was called Daredevil and about Daredevil where everyone pretty much agreed that Charlie Cox had got Matt Murdock just right and that we were all drawn to this hero, we all liked him, that people were still saying, God, this show should be about him. Like, Vincent D'Onofrio is so much more interesting as Kingpin. Um, and I found myself ridiculously drawn to that character as that show went on. And it was just such a strange and specific performance. And I think, obviously, J.K. Simmons absolutely nails who J. Jonah Jameson is. But D'Onofrio brought, brought something really specific to that role. In the way that I think Nick Cage does to Big Daddy as well, one of our <laughs> other nominees. Um, so, yeah, that, that I, I would be leaning in the D'Onofrio direction, but I, I kind of understand the J.K. Simmons love. I mean, I yeah, to an extent, I can see that. It's just, like, when I look at Vincent D'Onofrio's Kingpin, I think that's a Kingpin. But it's not the kingpin. Like you can imagine someone else taking on the kingpin role and doing something different with it. And so, in terms of definitive performances, I don't think you're ever going to beat J.K. Simmons. It is. It's. It's weird to kind of talk myself out of what my choice was. But I mean, I guess. I mean, J.K. Simmons is undoubtedly the best. But if we if we're going to consider the bigger picture. And the fact that, like I say, you know, there, he's going to have two further opportunities <laughs> to win this. And like, will next year's films throw up as as strong a selection as this? It's like, should it maybe be Michael Pena or should it maybe be? I mean, D'Onofrio maybe, or even Nicolas Cage. I mean, again, we, you know, we banged on about it on a very recent podcast, but Nick Cage in Kickass is just for given the relative amount of screen time that he has. Although it's it's probably not that much less than, or maybe even it's more than. Simmons has in Spider-Man but 
Um, you know, that's a real standout performance in a. He was he mm. actually was he one of the five? So I missed what. The, yes, what he was. Five. Yeah, yeah, he was. Yeah. And so the only person that we haven't really heaped praise on is Sam Rockwell. But we did that like a week ago, guys. <laughs> you, you get, you get, we love Sam so, Rockwell. Sam Rockwell deserves a lot of credit for struggling against a, a badly underwritten part that suddenly disappears from a film. I uh, I nominated him simply for dancing around the stage, personally. <laughs> <laughs> well, so I think we probably need to we need to vote. So um, I'll, I'll leave Seb to last because I think it sounds like he is going to be the, the the deciding vote here. So James, who are you going for? Uh, it's got to be J.K. Simmons, yeah. Okay, I am going Vincent D'Onofrio. Well, if it's of those two, just to avoid it being a three-way tie, I'm going to have to say J.K. Simmons. Okay, so J.K. Simmons is our inaugural winner of Best Supporting Actor. That's very exciting. We've got our first (laughs) award winner. Um, We'll move on now to, I think, something very specific to this year. And this is the Best New Film Award. So we've reviewed... On the podcast, three films that were released in 2015. Now, hopefully this category is going to be a lot more competitive in 2016 because there's going to be like <laughs> six or seven movies. And you'd, you'd have to think that at least a couple of those will be good. Um, maybe maybe one of them. <laughs> <laughs> because this year we, we had a three-way fight between Fantastic Four... Uh, <laughs> Avengers Age of Ultron and Ant-Man. And this was actually a unanimous decision uh, in in the voting because we couldn't really have like nominees for this category. Um, so, guys, should we just spend five or ten minutes talking about why we enjoyed Ant Man this year more than any of the other new films? I mean, I don't want to say it won by default, but because I did really enjoy it. But, and, and actually, I um, I I think it's it's easy to fall into the position of oh age of ultron wasn't very good there's a lot that's really good about age of ultron and i think it stood up quite well to a rewatch age of ultron's problem is just that it was the next film after avengers and guardians of the galaxy and winter soldier and admittedly thor too but you know age of ultron was coming on the back of off the back of a really strong run and didn't quite live up to that but it's still a, a pretty great film all things considered. I, mean, I, I rewatched uh, Age of Ultron recently with the commentary, and Joss Whedon spent a lot of time talking about how it's a film about class. And I was like, that might have been the film you were making. It didn't really come across. Yeah. Um, but no, I mean, even with the caveat that I do like Age of Ultron, uh, Ant Man is just. Hmm. I mean, it's just a really enjoyable. It's just a. It's a. It's a fun cake. Yeah. It's like it's uh, not without its problems. Like mm. I think. No, in a strong not. in a stronger year, it wouldn't have had such an easy ride. But based on what we've got to work with, I think almost I think... if if Age of Ultron had to turned up and been what we expected it to be, and I don't dislike that movie. I think it's solid. It's just it it <clears throat> it didn't live up to expectation, and it has bigger problems. Whereas Ant Man turned up as a film that we kind of knew all of its troubled production. We, I, I, I think we we spoke about the first Ant Man trailer on this podcast, and yeah. it wasn't the best. There was lots of jokes about, oh, I'm I'm called Ant Man, um, but <laughs> which got it, cut it from ended the film? Up, yeah. Yes, yeah. which got, oh, cut from the film. got cut from the film, and it ended up surpassing all expectations. Um, and Paul Rudd is a really solid lead. You know, we talked about Michael Pena being great already. Um, 
So yeah, like I said, I rewatched this last night. The Falcon set piece is wonderful. The Michael Pena comedy explaining the heist bits are wonderful. There's like five or six laugh out loud moments in the film. And while it does have that big wasp-shaped hole in the middle of it, at least there is that post credit scene there saying, yeah, it's going to happen. And they've lived up to that. We know they've lived up to that. She's in the title of the next movie. I, I, so. I, think, I think one of the best things that you can say about Ant-Man is that, like, uh, while it has problems, most of the things that I would kind of criticize about it are things that it didn't do yeah. rather yeah. than things that it did do like i don't think mm. it did much wrong if at all it's just there are things like i wish the wasp had actually been in it as the wasp i wish it had, had a slightly better villain and maybe a bit more of the stuff with hank pym in flashback you know it's like it's just all things it could have done more of rather than mm. But, you know, I'd rather come out of a film going, oh, it had things that I liked about it and I wanted to see more of them than it did a load of stuff that I just wish it had Like done. Fantastic and... Four. <laughs> <laughs> we can probably save discussing Fantastic Four because it might <laughs> it might be a nominee in one of our other categories. Um, I would Still say maybe the, the, the main thing that Ant-Man didn't do, and this probably is a result of that script being manically rewritten in the months leading up to principal photography and that's that i'm not sure it's really about anything and i i think if we'd have if we this would have been a film we'd have been looking back at from you know two or three years hence and trying to dive into what the themes of the movie and what it was getting across here and there i'm not sure really any of that stuff is there um other than some kind of vague attempts at like family and that kind of thing that doesn't really come together I do kind and lost maybe yeah I do kind of think the Marvel films are sort of aggressively attempting to not be about anything these days <laughs> yeah but I mean sometimes they are we you know we, we were able to pick out thematic threads in Iron Man 2 which is not a well loved Iron Man film they are still there whereas I think Ant- Ant-Man may be and maybe this is the way that Marvel Cinematic Universe is trending, but I don't think so given the Captain America films. But this is a film that's just full of moments. And I think more than any other podcast, our Ant-Man episode devolved into, oh, wasn't that bit good? And didn't you like <laughs> yeah. that bit? And that bit was fun. Oh, and remember Hayley Atwell? And that <laughs> when he looked like Gordon Gecko, and the tank flying out of the building, and Thomas the Tank, and the little ant being fed under the table, and oh, Cassidy, isn't she great? Who's it, Cassie? I can't Cassie. remember the kid. Yeah. She's, yeah. Um, and I think basically Ant Man has won this award on the strength of those moments. Mm-hmm. And it, which and is it, no, probably... which is no bad thing, you know. So a film full of entertaining moments. Um, like it's a lot more than you can say for Fantastic Four, for example. Even though I haven't seen it, I'm just going by what you guys have said. Um, you know, I'm, I'm very thankful for Lois from rescuing me from having to see Fantastic Four this year. You're not desperate to catch uh, up with that, Seb. No, strangely not. Um, but yeah, it's just you know, Ant Man is a film I would, ha- you know, I was looking forward to it, even though I knew it wasn't perfect. I was looking forward to it coming out on Blu-ray so I could rewatch it, and I bought it and rewatched it pretty much straight away, and. I still had a lot of fun with it the second time round. So, hmm. yeah. Excellent. So, Ant Man wins our best new film award. 
like I said, that's probably going to be a more competitive movie, a more competitive category next year. Who Jack knows? Snyder's got his fingers crossed. <laughs> yes. Who who will take down the award this time next year? Will it be Zack Snyder? Will it be Ryan Reynolds? Will it be Channing Tatum and whoever's directing that movie now? <laughs> who knows? It's There's a lot to look forward to in 2016. Um, we'll move on now to a category, which I'm going to be honest with you listeners, I'm not sure my co-host took as seriously as I took when we were throwing around um, ideas for nominations. So this is the Best Couple Slash Relationship Award, because comic book movies, you've got to have a love interest. If you've not got a love interest, you're doing something wrong. So the five nominees in this category are Tony Stark and Pepper Potts, in Iron Man, and I guess Iron Man too. We give we giving it for both of them. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, particularly because they're because they're a couple in Iron Man two and not in Iron Man one. Oh yeah, but don't don't you do down that will they won't they vibe because otherwise yeah. our next nominee would not have made it in, which is Magneto and Professor X <laughs> in X Men First Class. We've then got Peter Parker and Mary Jane Watson in Spider Man. We've got Howard and Bev in Howard the Duck. And we've got the Hulk and Black Widow in Avengers Age of Ultron, which I added in there basically to troll James. Because so, I so still think it works. So you've us of not taking this seriously <laughs> and you put Howard and Bev in there. Right, name a steamier <laughs> sex scene from any movie we've covered. I mean, that's... That's not the criteria, though, is it? <laughs> I mean, I've not seen anyone act with the levels of affection that Howard got <laughs> for an from, animatronic duck from Bevy. You know, she she loved her little ducky, and she, she just she just wanted to help him out. Um, <laughs> well, I think we know which way you're voting. <laughs> In favour of know which way I'm voting yet? I want to be I want to be one around. Um, James, we'll come to you first because. You uh, put one of these forward. You, you Basically, I picked most of these nominees in the category because Seb said there is only one that was any good and so that's the one that Seb is going to be talking about. But James, you had a, you had a, another specific suggestion from this list. Yeah, uh, I, I thought we one? should nominate Zack Snyder and his own left hand. <laughs> but on the other hand, I think... You know, on the other hand, I think that Didn't will... make the nominees. Yeah, that Didn't will dominate next year, so... Um, so by his left hand, do you mean David Goya? <laughs> Oh, this podcast devolving into filth. Um, no, James, you wanted to talk about James McAvoy and Michael Fassbender, Sorry, yes, didn't yes. you? Um, yeah, just in terms of like the the dynamic between any two characters on screen and the intensity of their relationship with one another. Like, even though I think McAvoy is a fairly bad Professor X, like. Those two characters are the only ones who have any kind of functioning interplay besides Tony and Pepper. You, you might not think he's a great Professor X, but he is a great Michael Fassbender's... Yeah, yeah, effect. exactly. <laughs> like, that that scene when they're in the hotel. That's from First Class, is it? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think, I think I know which one you're talking about. Yeah, where they're in the hotel and, like, demonstrating their powers to... Jennifer Lawrence, maybe? No, no, no to, to yeah, to Angel. That's it. Yeah, yeah. I went and looked up the deleted scene that Joe told us about that I'd never seen. <laughs> oh, Fassbender in a dress. Un- yeah, I can't unsee it. Yeah, <laughs> I, I wouldn't be surprised if that scene was deleted because they realised, oh, we're leaning too hard on this. 
Yeah. Um, I mean, th- those two do have the kind of chemistry that I'm not even sure that Robert Downey Jr. and Gwyneth Paltrow have. <laughs> that, but, I mean, and the movie, I, I, like, unlike, you know, something we've been looking at, like the Civil War trailer, <laughs> I'm not sure that X-Men First Class... Yeah, we know who's going to win this next year. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, will it be Tony and... You know, will it be Tony and Cap or will it be Bucky and Cap? Maybe we'll have to do a best (laughs) love triangle next year. Um, But yeah, I'm not sure X-Men First Class tries to lean explicitly on this kind of, you know... The thing is, I think it's actually... It's weird because it's like, I mean, it's there to an extent in the script, but actually I think it's something that comes out more in the performances than than in what's in... Yeah, it's down to their, like, their chemistry is so good you can't ignore it like even though it's not really in the script i mean and to be fair that's it's, you know that's how professor x and and magneto should be mm. like in their early relationship if not later on so really it is what we're saying here is that patrick stewart and ian mckellen had really been dropping the ball for three movies before this that's uh, what we're saying given uh, given how those two are off screen I mean, it yeah, seems like a it's... massive missed opportunity, but... Yeah. <laughs> That's very true. Okay, I'm going to argue the case now for one of these others. And while I really do love the Peter Parker and Mary Jane relationship, which definitely has the best kiss, we you know, if there was a best kiss award, if we were the MTV Movie Awards, <laughs> Spider-Man would be absolutely cleaning up right now. Because that upside-down kiss is amazing. But I'm going to make the case for Hulk and Black Widow. And I know this is controversial. I know James is taking his headphones off in disgust. <laughs> but I just, I, I really like what Joss Whedon did with that relationship, which is just to go, I know that there is no precedent for this. I know that in in some ways it's not going to make any sense for people who have been shipping Black Widow and Hawkeye or Black Widow and... Um, cap, but he, he kind of recognised that at least as a sequel to the Avengers, when we saw those two briefly on the screen together in the first movie, there was chemistry and there was a reason thematically why those two characters would be drawn together. And you've got two actors in Scully Hansen and Mark Ruffalo who really, really pulled that relationship off. And I didn't see it coming. I wasn't expecting it. And But I just thought when when it actually happens on screen, I, I really... I, I really believed in it. And I thought that it... It added some... Uh, it added some solid emotional beats to Avengers Age of Ultron. Like... Um, and that's... The, 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 the character interplay is where that film... Where an Avengers film should really... Like, in fairness, even though there's no precedent for it, and, like, the purist in me thinks it's a terrible idea, like, I can see <laughs> I can see where Whedon was coming from and why it works. And, in fact, having looked at the deleted scene, the deleted scenes on the DVD has an extended version of the farmhouse scene that I think should probably have made it in, because it's much better than the kind of wishy-washy ending to that relationship we get in the movie. Right. Like, have you? Do you know what I'm talking about? Have you seen it? Um, am I right in thinking that he explicitly says that they can't be together? Yeah, because early in the film she says something like, I'll never say never. And then in that scene, at the end of it, he says, like, she says to him, 
oh, you know, we can run away and just be monsters together away from the rest of the world. And he says, like, never. And it's really amazing and intense. And <clears throat> if they'd left that in, I'd have been much happier. But they, yeah, and they took it out because they thought it was too brutal. <laughs> and maybe that would have cleared up some of the confusion around that scene. <laughs> well, they wanted. He said he wanted the wanted the hook to make the choice in the end, which is a bit strange, but fair enough. I, I mean, I I just thought that that scene was very unfairly criticised from people looking for um, a reading of that scene that yeah. wasn't there <laughs> to to kind of press an agenda onto a film. And I still find it strange, while I don't think it is um, just the film as a whole isn't Joss Whedon's finest work and isn't his finest work in terms of uh, representation of women, given that uh, the stuff that we know he's done in the past, um, I still find it strange that a Joss Whedon film was called out for being uh, overly misogynistic, which I, I I personally don't think it was. And um, I think this relationship works really well. I mean, I've, but, I've been part of Buffy's fandom long enough to have seen that happen a lot of times already. So. <laughs> um, Seb, do you want to make the case for the one that we haven't talked about yet? Yeah, although actually as well, I, I realised that there's one that um, I managed to not nominate, which might have made it into the list if I had, which was um, Clark and Lois in Superman. Yeah. Uh, which, I mean, to be fair, is probably something that becomes more relevant in the second film, so we, again, we'll probably get to it next year, but it is worth just touching on the the strength of chemistry in the interview scene mm. in the first Superman film. Seb, if you'd have nominated it, it would have made it a list because it was one of my nominees, so... Sorry. I just completely forgot that. <laughs> um, which, you know, given that it involves a character called Lois, I probably should. <laughs> but, um, but no, I mean, the th- I think the thing with Tony and Pepper, well, there's a couple of things here. Like, I mean, I, this is, it's, I'm not someone who would generally get involved in sort of, you know, like actually having an investment in the relationships in these films. But I feel like I have done since the first Iron Man film. It was like, you know, I spent that first film really enjoying the kind of growing relationship between them and wanting them to get together. Um, And I think in a lot of films, a lot of this type of film, you know, the sort of token love interest stuff can be a distraction from, you know, the superhero stuff that we want to get to. And in the Iron Man films, sometimes I feel like the superhero stuff is a distraction (laughs) from the love story that I want to watch. Um, And, you know, by the... you know, it, it's in a film we haven't covered yet, but by the time you get to them in Avengers, and even though she's not in it much, just the the, the relaxed, enjoyable nature of their interplay and chemistry and mm. stuff is just um, the scene I when just, Coulson arrives in the hotel. Really enjoyable to watch. Sorry, the scene where Coulson arrives in yeah. at the top of the tower. Um, and I just, I, I really like that it's a relationship that completely puts them as equals even though you know their working relationship starts off with her technically as his subordinate or even though you know you know really she's running his life for him um it is it is a completely equal relationship that's founded on total mutual respect um you know it, they barely even get into the issue of physical attraction even though it's robert danny jr and gwyneth paltrow yeah that's true that. um it's you know <clears throat> and probably the best probably the most romantic moment that they have is at a point, we, again we talked about this scene at length on the first Iron Man podcast but the scene with her repair, helping him to repair and replace the thing in his chest and it's this sort of comfortable intimacy even though they're not a couple at that stage mm. and but they're just so completely relaxed with one another um, 
Yeah, it's just I just always find anything to do with that coupling really enjoyable to watch yeah. on screen. And that's why it feels so strange as well in Iron Man 2, seeing Tony being flirty with Natasha when she first turns <laughs> up. Because it's like, but hang on. It's like, I know Tony's, you know, supposed to have this kind of playboy ladies' man reputation, but by this stage, he shouldn't be interested in anyone else, should he? <laughs> um, well, I mean, it is Scarlett Johansson. Yes. In well, all fairness. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fair. yeah, I think that's probably the best explanation you, you can give to that. Um, do, you, do you think this probably benefits from as well having you know we've now seen both Iron Man and Iron Man 2 on the podcast so we've been able to see that see both sides of that relationship because we only really get half an arc in each of yeah. in each of the movies although I think I would still be in favour of it if we'd only done the first film but yeah. it would be coming at it from a slightly different standpoint yeah um, but yeah you know I, that's part of the reason why I think it deserves the award is that it's it's one that we've <laughs> that we've, we've had two films worth of investment in so, uh, Seb, I take it you're strongly in favour of Tony and Pepper. Yeah. Um, James, is that something you concur with, or do you want to make the case for McAvoy, Fassbender, you know, really, really just turn on your heel and, and double down on Mark Ruffalo and Scarlett Johansson? No, I mean, I, if... How would it, if how I had Beth? To... <laughs> how would Beth? As much no. as I'm, you know, a fan of that interspecies thing I think I'm gonna have to go with Tony and Pepper <laughs> fair enough okay so that does mean the winner of this award is Tony Stark and Pepper Potts so the best couple relationship on the first year of Cinematic Universe um, and we'll move on now to um, I think something that's going to be maybe one of our most competitive categories which is for best casting and now we we flirted with the idea of maybe having this for casting for an individual character, um, you know. So we could have we could have been talking about people like J.K. Simmons again, um, but we decided that we would go for the movies as a whole, uh, which actually means that Spider Man doesn't make the list despite that slam dunk casting. I think there's there's <laughs> some there's some choices elsewhere that you just go no, okay not not. Maybe, maybe didn't abs. I mean, just Tobey Maguire down. They probably didn't. I mean, they're great Spider-Man films, but I don't think everyone, anyone, would say Tobey Maguire is the definitive Peter Parker. Um, so, yeah, but I think he's pretty great, as we <laughs> as yeah, we said on the podcast. Yeah, yeah. But he he he's not my problem with the casting in that film. Casting don't go back and listen to the podcast to hear what my problem is. <laughs> I think she's great. I couldn't get nominated in any other categories apart from that best couple when we barely spoke about her. Um, but so she's, for... she's great in Fargo. I'll I'll say that much. For best casting, we have Scott Pilgrim versus the World, Kickass, Iron Man, which is uh, a recurring nominee, uh, Batman Begins, and Avengers: Age of Ultron. So this is interesting. We've had categories kind of dominated by Marvel movies so far. And if you're a Marvel versus DC head, um, that's probably by virtue of there just been so many more Marvel movies than there are DC. Uh, it's, a, it's a struggle we find constantly on this podcast, um, trying to find DC stuff to talk about with any regularity. But I'm sure that'll get easier in the next couple of years. Um, so, but we do have Batman Begins making its way in here, and then Scott Pilgrim and Kickass, which are neither Marvel nor DC. So, um, 
Guys, do you two want to talk about Age of Ultron to begin with? Because this isn't something that I even considered because I feel like all the best casting of that movie had already happened on previous movies. <laughs> well, so well, I yeah. guess So I guess are you talking James Spader, Elizabeth Olsen, Aaron Johnson? Well, no, I mean, it, Andy it, it, still, it still has the Avengers cast in it. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, on a technicality, if nothing else, it's got a really strong lead cast. Points points and for and not recasting cast. that main cast for your Avengers <laughs> sequel. Yeah, exactly. Um, but, you know, you know, but you can't disqualify it based on the fact that it was a pre-existing cast. I can. Um, I'm, dis- I'm disqualifying it, personally. Well... But I also think the additional cast members, you know, are all are all pretty strong additions. Um, Aaron Johnson, really enjoyable as Quicksilver. Elizabeth Olsen didn't get to do loads, but you really liked Elizabeth Olsen, so yes, you know, I did. Thought she there. was great. Um, I can't find anything to fault in James Spader as Ultron. Thought he was tremendous fun. Andy Serkis, um, great, really great. Uh, yes, <laughs> I mean as Andy. Serkis. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. His performances go. I wouldn't put it up there with his most significant. And, but. and does it get points for actually giving Paul Bettany physical form? Yeah. Why I mean, not? These films don't generally get a lot wrong when it comes to casting, and I think this was just uh, another example of that. And um, uh, I've forgotten her name. Hawkeye's wife. Oh, L- Linda Cardellini. Yep, yeah, adding in Linda Cardellini. Um, yeah, solid. Julie, yeah. Julie Delpy in the background of a scene. That was fun. <laughs> <laughs> so um, Avengers Age of Ultron made our list, but I, I don't think it's going to win. Guys, I want to make the case for Batman Begins, which um, I think has kind of been like on the fringe of a lot of our categories. In <laughs> that mine. there's there's <laughs> that might be why it's on the fringe. This is this kind of has to be a degree of consensus. And James <laughs> is not that not the Batman Begins fan that Seb and uh, I are. I've got the torpedoes oh, out for this one. 
<laughs> How did we not have Gary Oldman for Best Supporting Actor? I've only just realised. <laughs> well, so <laughs> there we go. We were putting these together quite fast. <laughs> so we've got Gary Oldman in this movie as a pretty perfect Commissioner Gordon. We've got Michael Caine as, I think, still my favourite screen Alfred. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Christian you- Bale, who doesn't. I don't, I don't think we would. Like, spoiler alert, when we get to some of our other categories that are concerned with the the lead actor, he's he's not someone who, like, really steals the show, but I think he's just, he's solid as both Bruce Wayne and as <coughs> Batman, and really never distracts in that kind of sense. Um, and, you know, just people like Morgan Freeman popping up and you, even Rutger Hauer as the head of the company and... Katie Liam Holmes. Neeson and, well, I think Katie well, Holmes is maybe the, the, the weak spot here. Um, I, th- I think that's the thing. I think, I think Batman Begins has got such a strong supporting cast, but it's the two leads. And, like, Bale is okay as Batman, but it's... I think it's... I mean, he's... Well, I'm just going to say whether it's... It's not, it's not the weakest of his three because i think in, in dark knight rises he just <laughs> fades into the background but yeah I, I i i struggle to look at bale as batman even though he does a lot of good work as bruce wayne in this i struggle to look at him and think there's a definitive batman mm. and yeah katie holmes is just a, a massive weak spot in this film unfortunately yeah. so yeah for all the good of the supporting cast i can't really call it the best cast film because it kind of Drop the ball with the two leads. Well, so do- necessarily drop the ball with Batman because I think I think Batman is a really difficult character. If you look at every live action Batman, none of them are perfect in the way that every live action Superman has been really good in some way. Mm. Um, Batman is a difficult one to nail, so I don't think you can blame Batman Begins for not having a perfect lead. But the fact is, it doesn't. Yeah. Well, so does does Iron Man, one of our other nominees? Well, so that obviously, in terms of the leads. And there we have Gwyneth Paltrow and Robert Downey Jr. I mean, Robert Downey Jr. might be the finest single piece of uh, superhero movie casting, maybe outside of J.K. Simmons. I would say it's better than J.K. Simmons just for the external context. He's, I mean, he's become the... a one-man industry, hasn't he? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, exactly. He's it's become like the, Tony those Stark. Fil- <laughs> and those films would not exist to the level of success that they do if they'd cast anyone other than Robert Downey Jr. Yeah. I think it's, you know... Um, but does it's, it... It's such a significant piece of casting. But does it lose points for kind of... Terence Howard. Around the fringes? Well, there's Terence Howard, but then I'm also thinking just kind of in terms of when you've got Batman, you've got the Batman Begins, you can go through that kind of list of characters. And I don't really think once you get beyond... Robert Downey Jr. and Gwyneth Paltrow, I think you're struggling to say, oh, hey, that person was great. And even even Jeff Bridges, who's a fantastic actor, who I really, really love, I I don't watch this film and go, yeah, they, they really they really nailed that character. Well, I feel like I he, kind of, he could have been absolutely anyone. I kind of disagree, because I, re- I really like Jeff Bridges in that film. I think he's a good foil for Robert Downey Jr. in many ways. I, I do like him in it. I don't think he rises above a weak character as well as Sam Rockwell does mm. 
in Iron yeah, Man. Yeah, that's 2. true. Yeah. I think I think you you remember more of Sam Rockwell's good bits in Iron Man two than you do of Jeff Bridges' good bits in Iron Man. Even though I mean, like Jeff Bridges never really puts a foot wrong. It's just that he's not got loads to work with. I think he's at his best in the earlier stuff when he's being smarmy and friendly with Tony. I think when he's when he's shown his colours and become an outright villain, there's just nothing to him. But I think when he's playing the the smarmy mentor figure. Is is when he's at his best. Yeah. So, I think we'll probably come to James on this one because he missed the actual podcast (laughs) where we we discussed it. James, do you want to talk about the Scott Pilgrim casting and maybe make a case for that as our eventual winner? Because, man, that is a deep, deep cast and I wouldn't say there is any glaring weakness in terms of of those that I can think of immediately. out of everyone in Scott Pilgrim, like most of them went on to much bigger things, justifiably so. And I don't... apart from Michael Sarah, who <laughs> well, yeah. kind of who kind of peaked around then. <laughs> uh, but I just I don't think you can find a single weak performance in any of them. Hmm. Like they're ev- they're all perfect, even down to the bit parts. Like I can't remember who plays Como, but. It's like they took him off the page and found exactly the right person for it. There's so many of those, aren't there? And then the big, maybe the one that changes the most from the page is Knives. And Ellen Wong is wonderful. And someone we'd not really seen much of before. We haven't seen much of since. Yeah. But it's completely amazing in that, mm-hmm. in that one film. And you, you look at people like... Aubrey Plaza and Anna Kendrick and Kieran Culkin and Larson, just... Alison Pill, just all of them. Yeah, Brandon Routh, yeah. Chris Evans. <laughs> God, yeah, yeah and you, 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 know... you don't even think about the the evil exes. May Whitman, mm-hmm. yeah, Jason Schwartzman. It take it takes that long to get to Jason Schwartzman. Yeah, exactly. yeah. <laughs> and then when and when and then you know Jason Schwartzman turns up and is just uh, perfect. <laughs> you know, mm. I would argue. The only, and I think I did talk about this on on the original pod, but I'm not a hundred percent on Mary Elizabeth Winstead as Ramona. I think there are ways in which she gets the character right, but I think there are other ways, and maybe it's more about how the character is presented in the film. I but, I think that um, I think it's more maybe on a script level how that character is written, or maybe how that film took place in the edit, and as we talked mm. about the ending kind of them being unsure on how it should end. Yeah. And, but I, I think Mary Elizabeth Winstead is very, very good as Ramona. See? But maybe just sometimes the character doesn't work quite as well as she did on the page. Well, I, I, I always thought in the comic, she's quite hard to get a grip on as well. Like that's sort of the point is that she's, mm. you know, she's not very clearly defined. She's like gone, you know, she contains multitudes. Um, mm. and that makes her hard to cast in a in a way that these sort of one joke bit parts aren't. Um, it's hard, like I think a lot of her performance influenced how I read her in the comics now as well. So, on that basis, you know, I think it's think it's a good <laughs> good piece of casting because I just find it hard to see anyone else as her. And we should hit on the only movie in this category that we haven't discussed yet, which is Kick Ass. Um, which I think does pretty solid, strong work all the way across the board. And obviously, Chloe Moretz was mm-hmm. uh, just superb casting. And I think, I think we talked about this when we did it. To, to Scott Pilgrim in terms of even the, you know, the little 
bit parts throughout. Yeah. I mean, none of them are, with the possible exception of Nick Cage, none of them are as strikingly good as the cast of um, Scott Pilgrim. But mm. yeah, it's it's a film that that takes the care to nail most of the little roles. I'm not hugely convinced by Lindsay Fonseca, to be honest. But again, that part of the problem is the writing of that character. I think I think Lindsay Fonseca would have been fantastic as the Katie of the page. And not so much as the as the Katie that ends up that we end up getting on the on the screen. Yeah, um, yeah. I, this this is one that I mean, fair play to Matthew Vaughn for casting up an Italian mafia with mostly East London actors. <laughs> um, that's that's pretty great. Yeah, this this. Oh, I'm never going to complain about Dexter Fletcher and Jason <laughs> Fleming and <laughs> and I, I I I again as I said I, I love Mark Strong in that yeah. as well. Um, and even you know we mentioned on the podcast you've got uh, Clark Gregg and Evan Peters as his friends who are, mm. are pretty great and obviously they both went on to bigger things and yeah this is this is one that I think in another year would have a good shot at winning but for me I can't look past Scott Pilgrim here this is potentially one of our best categories like I think Batman Begins is incredible in terms of who it put in those roles but I can't see past Scott Pilgrim I think it just gets everything spot on and I have problems with that movie but I never had any problem going that's a character I don't believe or that's a character that I don't buy as that character from the page I I just think it works top to bottom (laughs) yeah agreed (laughs) so are we are we giving the award to Scott Pilgrim I am. I think I, th- I think we're unanimous yeah. on that one. Excellent. I've, I've I was I was thinking that was going to be a very competitive category. I mean, basically, Scott Pilgrim trounced Iron Man, which cast Robert Downey Jr. as Tony Stark. So that's <laughs> that's pretty telling. <laughs> okay, we'll move back to one of our um, acting categories now. Um, uh, we've done best supporting actor already. Um, and we're gonna we're gonna hit the category which is probably the one that was the most diverse when we were trying to come up with nominees, and this is best supporting actress. Um, I think between us, we only had one actress who was a unanimous choice, um, and then at, like we had like thirteen, fourteen other names that. We we'd all not we'd all put in our list of list of five. Okay, so our nominees are Scarlett Hansen, uh, primarily for Iron Man Two, uh, Rosario Dawson for Daredevil, and spoiler alert, uh, a brief appearance in Jessica Jones, um, a Scott Pilgrim duo of Brie Larson and Ellen Wong, and from Kickass Chloe Moretz, and we we you know we had lots of lots of potential nominees for this category. Um, and even just looking at Scott Pilgrim alone, which we've just discussed. but So we've eventually we've landed on Brie Larson and Alan Wong, but Alison Pill nearly made the list, and Kendrick nearly made the list. Um, do you guys have a favourite from those two performances? Can you separate those two? Is the one is the one that you'd prefer to win? Or does, does Scott Pilgrim just deserve like a... A cooperative award for all of its supporting female performances, <laughs> which are pretty roundly excellent. I I think of all the female characters in Scott Pilgrim, I think Brie Larson is the best one at feeling like she's stepped completely off the yeah. page, like she she just is envy. 
But I think Ellen Wong, what Ellen Wong does is to create a character that isn't necessarily the knives off the page, but is actually a lot more interesting and a lot more engaging. Mm. So it's a tough one to call, but I think I'd put Ellen Wong just ahead for mm-hmm. that reason. Yeah, yeah. I'd agree. And, and she's more significant to the film. Yeah. And we should talk about this category in general. It was very hard to narrow this down to a list of five. I mean, originally we were just going to do Best Actor and Best Actress, and it seemed weird having some of the lead actors against the supporting actors for awards. So we split them out. But this is a category that was so diverse. There are actually a lot of supporting female performances and there's arguments for some of the some of these as leads and there's arguments for some of them as supporting but there's an awful awful lot of supporting female performances compared to leads and that is that's something we've hit on with superhero movies pretty consistently throughout the year but it's just it it makes a category like this a, a, a difficult one to pin down just because there's so many people um, and it and it kind of feels. I think feels... it's more as well that a lot of them, while a lot of them are are great, they often don't necessarily get a huge amount to do. So yeah. it's like, I mean, I it's weird because you you look at we actually ended up as you say with quite a long list of suggestions, even though most of them came from Scott Pilgrim. But <laughs> it did when I was looking through the films, it didn't feel like like I went through film by film, and I was like, oh, there's nobody in that film, there's nobody in that film, there's nobody in that film. We did come up with a reasonably long list, mm. but I think from a quite small selection of material, I think there's a few films that have done it quite well. But in general, you know, I mean, I, you know, I looked at Watchmen, and it was like, well, Watchmen, you've basically got two female characters and. One of them is a lead and isn't very good, and the other one is Carla Gugino, who I just think is, you know, overacting <laughs> as much as I like her. Um, and you know, um, Batman Begins doesn't really have anybody apart from Katie Holmes. Mm. Um, Fantastic Four, Superman. You've got Miss Teshmacher. Fantastic Four, uh, yeah. Chronicle. I think. Does it literally have more than one female speaking? No, we got into that. It was a. Yeah. It's, a, it's a thing. Um, <laughs> you know, so, I mean, you know, it's it's great that Scott Pilgrim has a, a bunch. Possibly predominantly female supporting cast, which I know is partly because it's about, um, you know, it's, well, it's about um, Ramona's exes who are mostly male, but you've got, I mean, yeah, again, we, we didn't even nominate um, Mae Whitman in mm. supporting actresses. Yeah. Like, there, there are a lot in Scott Pilgrim. Beyond that, it's. You know, I would say the uh, it, it's it's things like Rosario Dawson making it in for a few lines of dialogue <laughs> in Dead Well, that's Ellen that was the other trend Jones. I think that in our nominations. I mean, Bridget Regan was talked about for Agent Carter. Yeah, I would have liked to see Bridget Regan. We, uh, Bridget Regan. In we there. talked about she was excellent. Rachel Taylor from um, Jessica Jones, who I thought was just really really great. Um, and then we we had a, a couple of other people that just missed out on the list. Jennifer Lawrence just missed out on the list for X Men First Class. Um, but yeah, it's it's a weird category, isn't it? Should we should we talk about some of the other people who did make who the, the five people who did actually make the list? Because despite despite what we're saying there with the movies not doing them a huge amount of justice. The other names we have on this list are Rosario Dawson, Chloe Moretz, and Scarlett Johansson. And I'd just like I'd love to talk about Chloe Moretz being just really, really great. 
great in Kick-Ass. Um, because we we kind of talked about this off mic in uh, when we were doing our Kick-Ass recording. Uh, because we we recorded a lot of stuff on Kick-Ass. You're lucky you ever heard that podcast. It was so long. Um, but I'm not a huge fan of her in Kick-Ass 2, which I know that you two guys are. Um, we'll, pro- we'll presumably get to that later down the line. Um, and I've I've had more problems with Chloe Moretz as an actor as she's got older. And I find her at some points a really big distraction from movies because I think she tends to act with a capital A. But in Kick-Ass, that really, really works. And she forms a great kind of duo with Nicolas Cage. And I think at, at points nearly steals that movie out from under everyone else in it. And that's difficult to do for like a 11 year old unknown actress um, who just throws everything into that film. I, and I think ends up being really, really great. I think the only reason I didn't put her at top in this category when I was making my choices is because I considered her the female lead of that movie. <laughs> Mm. Yeah, I mean that that is arguable. But otherwise I completely agree. Yeah. It's it's difficult sometimes making that distinction. I kind of went with there isn't really a lead actress in that movie given that she shows up half an hour in. Yeah, I mean she's the only female character who has much of an arc. Was my mm. feeling about whether she's the lead or not. Cuz Katie certainly doesn't. <laughs> yeah, that is true. I guess it comes down to whether you think a movie has a lead actor and actress, even if there's only... Yeah. You know, like, is, I mean, is think... a movie with one man in it? Does that man become, by default, the lead <laughs> actor, even if he only has two lines? Yeah, I think by by default, if if your film has actresses, it's got to have a lead actress at some point. <laughs> but that's a different, <laughs> different debate. <laughs> Who wants to make the case for Scarlett Johansson, who is actually, on our first ballot of voting, the only unanimous choice... That may, that may be recency bias, given that we just watched Iron Man 2. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't really know what to say beyond what we said on the <laughs> Iron Man 2 podcast, really. But, um, you know, I think, I guess at the time, you know, people were critical of, um, oh, this film is too much about Black Widow. So it's probably then, when you look back at how little of the running time is really about her, it's probably testament to how much she stands out in that film. Um, you know, hmm. Very, very good at um, posing in corridors. <laughs> <laughs> and we haven't mentioned Rosario Dawson, and I think this is one of those that I think she's nominated because she really is great. But you know, she she kind of disappears from Daredevil, and you're left wanting to see more from her. And maybe next year, when we do see more from her in Luke Cage, that we'll be able to revisit this. I mean, we talked but- we talked about her on the Jessica Jones podcast. Like how, yeah, she, how just, she just she just turns in. up and completely owns the entire episode. Yeah, yeah, sticking needles in people's eyes. I can't give her an award for doing that twice. <laughs> she made me physically ill. <laughs> needles in eyes. If that happens in Luke Cage, I'm out on the Netflix Marvel Cinematic Universe. It's a motif. Can't take anymore. Yeah. <laughs> um, guys, I. Who do 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 you have someone that's standing out here? Because I now do, and I'm surprised by who that person is. Uh, I mean, if Chloe Moritz is in the supporting category, then it's got to be her for me. 
Yeah, I'd agree. Oh, well, I was I was leaning in the Ellen Wong direction, but given that I was uh, banging the drum for Chloe Moretz in advance, I am happy to do that. So, Chloe Moretz wins Best Supporting Actress for her role in Kick-Ass. Um, we'll move on now to a couple of... Uh, well, the first of a couple of awards that you probably won't see on any normal podcast uh, or normal awards show. Because <laughs> uh, we, we are having a Best Hero and Best Villain category. Um, and I think, let's start off with the heroes. Because they're a bit more boring, aren't they? You know? <laughs> Villains are more interesting. We can have a, <clears throat> have a much deeper discussion on those. Um, so, Best Hero... Um, this is basically anyone who was a heroic lead in their movie or TV show this year. We have Iron Man, again, showing up in the nominations. Um, Spider-Man, Toby Maguire's Peter Parker. We have Christopher Reeve's Superman. We have Hayley Atwell's Peggy Carter. And we have... Now, we didn't discuss this, but I'm assuming this is Charlie Cox's Daredevil <laughs> and not Ben Affleck's. Yeah. Is that, well, is that a fair assumption? Generally, so because we had had two Daredevils, <laughs> I was just going Daredevil in general. Okay, that's fair. And uh, so I guess we've had kind of three Iron Man appearances this year. So that's that's probably why he did. He eased into the voting. Um, does anyone strongly want to make the case for any of these five to begin with? Is, is there anyone that stands out are for you? Do, as someone are we doing it as best character? As well, best character, a best, yeah. It, well, let's let's debate it. What, what what do you think should be our parameters well, if, for this? If best the hero? parameter is like best character on a conceptual level, then anyone saying anything other than Spider Man is out of their fucking mind. <laughs> because <laughs> no, even well, with all, be even in... with all the bias of you know what I'm interested in. Like Spider Man is a perfect superhero character. He's the template for virtually every other one that followed. So, yeah, no, I think it has to be best hero within the context of the actual thing that we watched this year. Yeah. So it has to be specifically Tobey Maguire's Spider Man, and it has to be Robert Downey Jr.'s Iron Man, and it has to be. I think. I think if we're going for Charlie Cox and Ben Affleck's Daredevil, we might be doing like a plus minus thing there. Um, <laughs> And and similarly, you know, like we know that these characters appear in other movies outside, but uh, you know, we've we've seen Peggy Carter and other things, and we've seen Toby Maguire's Spider Man in two sequels. But it just has to be in context of what we've seen so far. In that case, I think I'm probably going to go with Charlie Cox as Daredevil, just because I think he he nails the character like really pretty much perfectly. And unlike Tony Stark, he's actually got some proper hardships in his life. But is it a problem that I didn't want him to take down the villain? Well, yeah, because that, well, that means you're the... evil. And is it, this... is it a problem that when he puts the costume off on, it's naff? That is and more when of he a problem. Is the fully real, but... When he is the fully realised daredevil, he just kind of beats up a fat guy in an alleyway. Yeah, That's but not he's, fair, he's blind, so check your privilege. <laughs> I, I think if you I think if you if you're calling a category best hero, you have to look at what the heroes actually do and what they achieve in their respective films. Yeah. Um and you know, all Daredevil really does is to topple the empire of a man who was actually quite successfully regenerating <laughs> um, parts of New York. Yeah. Uh, and the other Daredevil all he does is uh win a fight and 
get his girlfriend. Fisk killed. is a victim in Netflix's Daredevil, <laughs> as far as I'm concerned. Um, you know, Spider-Man, I mean, yeah, in everything that James has said about, in general, Spider-Man as a heroic character is entirely true. But again, this Spider-Man, other than, you know, like, stopping some muggings and just generally stopping crime in New York, which is great, obviously, but the main thing that he does in the film is successfully defend himself from an attack by his mortal enemy. Superman uh, flies the wrong way around the world. Well, this is this, this is what I'll get to, because <laughs> Superman stops the destruction of the entire West Coast of the USA. Well, only and after Iron he's Man. watched it happen once. <laughs> well, yeah, but he still stops it happening the second time. <laughs> so I, I think you've got to give it to Superman because he actually performs the, the biggest and most successful heroic acts. Tony Stark, all he does is, again, successfully fend off a couple of bits of corporate subterfuge against him like you know if 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 tony stark isn't there as iron man to stop things happening in iron man then all that happens is other people get iron man costumes right i'm I'm pretty sure i'm about to successfully make the case for the winner of this category peggy carter defeats sexism seb does she that's not what (laughs) i saw (laughs) um she does she does in the eyes of her viewers and her fans um uh, Peggy Carter is, I would say, Agent Carter has a lot of problems. It takes a great supporting character from a movie, fleshes her out, and um, I would say she is the she's the single area of that show that does not have any flaws. Um, Hayley Atwell is superb as Peggy, and Peggy is um, is pretty badass, and she's she is a hero with um, with vulnerabilities and flaws and. Is kind of fighting, fighting her fight on two different fronts. The the reason why, I, to be honest, why I'd argue for for Peggy to win is that um, she's the the best one as a creation of the movies. And I mean, okay, Iron Man runs close because a lot of what makes this version of Iron Man great is the movie version. But all of Iron Man, Spider Man, Superman, and Daredevil pre-exist from comics and so does Peggy Carter but I'll come to that in a second you know they a lot of what makes them great is already there in the comics you know Charlie Cox's Daredevil part of the reason why he's good is that he's a good version of a Daredevil that we already know um Christopher Reeve is a perfect screen portrayal of a character who's existed for seven decades uh Spider-Man is the best superhero in comic books done very well in the first Spider-Man film Peggy Carter is a pretty nothingy character from comics who the movies and that TV show turned into a great hero. And I think for that reason, she stands as the best hero from comic book movies and TV that we've covered this year because, you know, it is entirely because of Hayley Atwell and the writers of Agent Carter that she's now such a great character. It sounds like you're not on board with that though, James. (laughs) You could hear my disapproval. (laughs) <laughs> no, nah, I'm. You know, I think that's fair, but I just think the the joy of any adaptation is seeing the characters you love appear on screen, fully realised. And like, while I've got a lot of affection for Peggy, in specifically the TV series, I was never that big a fan of her in the movies, to be honest. But uh, I just think sacrilege. <laughs> I just think if. Like mainly, my the thing I like about Charlie Cox is that he spends a lot of time debating whether or not he should kill the kingpin and eventually decides not to and i have a lot of time for any sort of hero who will consider mortality with you know some kind of 
genuine consideration, like genuine thought. Especially when you compare him to the yeah, like version. <laughs> pretty much every other hero we talk about is just straight up murdering people. And I think if you're going to be a hero, even Iron Man, you've got to got to value life in some way. And I think Charlie Cox's Daredevil has that debate with himself to a I think, enjoyable I think extent. Spider Man and Superman do as well. Spider Man doesn't. Superman, not in this film. <laughs> but and it has to it bears mentioning James two of your nominations for this category were Major Kusanagi from Ghost in the Shell oh yeah yeah, yeah. and, I'm not, da- and I'm Dave Wazowski saying... from Kick-Ass who didn't who didn't ultimately make it into the list yeah I'm not I'm not saying that's the sole criteria but I think that's you know I'm not comfortable with the level of murdering that happens in most superhero films and I'm mm. happy to see at least one hero who got to the point of thinking should I just straight up murder this guy? No, probably not, because that's not very nice. He does like his torture, though, right? Yeah, <laughs> I'm not saying he's perfect. <laughs> I tried to make the case for Michael B. Jordan, Steve from uh, Chronicle, but he was he was sadly nowhere near this list. <laughs> um, he's a he's a pretty flawless hero for while he's around. Unfortunately, he's not around for very long. Yeah, um, no Fantastic Four actors, mate. <laughs> this list, and it had four of them to choose from, mm-hmm. so that's an indictment. Um, I'm finding it a struggle to pick a clear winner here. Um, so, James, you're making the case for Daredevil. Yeah. Seb, who would? Wh- where would your vote lie? Um, I mean, I'm kind of torn three ways between. Like, I I perpetually struggle with. Like on any given day, you could ask me who the best superhero is out of Superman and Spider-Man, and I would give you a different answer depending on what day of the week it was. So if we're just going purely on who is the best superhero, and you know, in the two films that we've covered, they are really good representations of the character that I love from the comics. Mm-hmm. So I can't really choose between them two, and that's almost why I'm leaning towards Peggy, just to avoid me having to choose between Superman and Spider-Man. Are we, also, are we this, sleeping this on Iron Man? to be a three-way tie. Are we sleeping on Iron Man here? <laughs> He's pretty. But he's not. I was going to say he's not that much of a hero. hero. He's a kind of. He's like a rock star. <laughs> if we're talking different. about Avengers, you know, he he's the hero of of Avengers, but in his own first two films, he's not really as much. Ah, of a and he hero. did create Ultron this year, didn't he? <laughs> he did. Ah, uh, yeah. You yeah. can't give the award to the guy who created Ultron. Oh, right. Okay. Uh, fair enough. Yeah. This. This is. This is like in in the year that civil that civil war the comic came out. The readers of Wizard <laughs> magazine voted Iron Man as villain of the year. Um, I I don't I, I don't think, think I can I don't think I can go with James on Daredevil. I like Charlie Cox, but I I think its villain is just so much more. Uh, so much more of an appeal of that show than it's you're, hero you're the I reason couldn't, I couldn't that name him. like property magnates take over New York because you're like oh but look they had a difficult childhood <laughs> right tell you what Joe tell me your pick and then I'll tell I will I will tell you which of you and James I'll, I'll I don't know I want, I want if I do a vote of my own <laughs> we're gonna have a three well I want to know what James is so you wouldn't be voting for Daredevil would you Seb I would consider it depending on who your choice was <laughs> I was just wondering if James had a backup choice. Backup choice? Uh, no. <laughs> Spider-Man, Superman, Peggy Carter. Is this just going to result in me and James just going, look, Spider-Man is the best? Dude, <laughs> I think it might. I feel like we haven't even seen the best of Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man yet. Well, we haven't, but he, but he is the best. Spider-Man will be my second the... choice out of that list, definitely. Have we seen the best of Christopher Reeve's Superman? 
He's he does save the world. You're right, sir. Yeah, second second time. And he is. Oh no! I mean, actually, the first the first film is his best film as well, uh, because in the second film he does some unheroic <laughs> things. So uh, no, yeah, no. Uh, my vote is for, my vote is for Christopher Reeve Superman. Christopher Reeve Superman is pretty much in that first film is pretty much the most perfect representation of a superhero. So that's what I'm going with. So we're going to have a two way tie. <laughs> yeah. Um, I I yeah okay. I'm I'm willing to go with Seb and go Superman, but I'm very conflicted about this category. I kind of want to give it to all of them and none of them. <sighs> you just want to give it to the Kingpin. That's what you want. Yeah, that would be that would be wonderful. Well, well, okay. So Superman is the hero that we deserve. He is the best hero for this year. Um, I feel I feel like we've I feel like we struggled really struggled with that category. <laughs> Hey, this is Joe from the future jumping in here to say that we've actually reached the halfway point of our end of year awards show. And so sadly, that's it for this week. Um, just to recap the winners of the awards we've had so far. Um, J.K. Simmons um, for Spider-Man won Best Supporting Actor. Chloe Moretz for Kick-Ass won Best Supporting Actress. Superman is our Best Hero of the Year. Tony Stark and Pepper Potts are our Best Couple. Scott Pilgrim wins the award for Best Casting. And Ant-Man was named best new film now we've got a lot lot more awards coming in the second half of the show we um we pick up the pace considerably um we have categories for best song best costume best villain best screenplay best director best actress best actor worst film and best film to come uh, we're also going to be looking back at some of our favorite pitches from the year and uh, naming a best pitch um naming the best comic recommendation of the year and giving you some comics recommendations for comics that released in 2015 um, and we're going to cap it all off by inducting someone into the cinematic universe hall of fame um, and it's probably going to be someone that you hear their name mentioned frequently throughout the podcast um, who we have an opportunity to honor in some way there so yeah we'll be back next week with part two of this special um, i guess uh, in the first week of 2016 so have a good new year and we'll see you then Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.